Hello and welcome to the first new weekly AV Forums podcast where we talk games, movies, home cinema and tech every Wednesday. I'm Phil Hinton, editor of AV Forums and joining me this evening on this first pioneering episode are the games editor, Mark Botwright. Good evening, Mark. Evening, Phil. Movies editor, Simon Crust. Hiya, Phil. News editor, Mark Hodgkinson. Hi, Phil. And AVF assistant editor, Steve Withers. Greetings, Phil. We've moved from producing monthly editions of the Home Cinema and Movies podcast and as I just said, this is the new AV Forums podcast, which will be arriving every Wednesday. And as you'll notice, we have the entire editorial covered with members of the home cinema, tech, movies, games sections here to help us through the big stories that are happening right now in the world of tech. And uh, fans of the Games podcast don't have to fear anything. The uh, Games podcast will continue on the 14th of each month and will continue to be presented by Steve Hill. So with games in mind, let's cover one subject the Games Podcast has missed while it's been off air, and that's the rather big U-turn from Microsoft. So, Mark, you published an article on the front page recently covering the news. Uh, Explain what's happened. Um, Yes, basically the fallout seems to have gotten too much for them. Lots of bad PR rolled into even worse PR. Post E3, people kind of felt that they'd ridden out the storm. Um, the idea of 24-hour check-ins, a move to a kind of license-based model rather than actually owning the disc and therefore owning the game. Um, and trade-ins were going to be changed. And because they didn't mention anything at E3, everyone naturally assumed that perhaps they were simply going to ignore it and more would come out. There was plans for a family sharing plan um, so that you could share with someone, you know, halfway across the world. And, you know, you'd have this kind of games library that everyone was that was available to everyone. And then just came the massive U-turn and they basically said, that's it. Too much is too much. Um, There's going to be no more 24 hour check in. Uh, and basically the status quo is restored. Um, trade-ins will be the same, and just as an extra little bonus, now the games will be region-free. Is is this in reaction to the PS4? I mean, you know, as an outsider who's, you know, I'm not a big gamer, I follow the news, I follow what's going on, I'm interested in these consoles, probably from, more from an AV side than a gaming side, Mark, but uh, it looks to me like they, they've seen what Sony did, Sony's given them a good kick in the nads, and they've said, right, let's change everything and, and go back to our old business model. Yeah, I mean, the the problem is is that they were kind of fighting on two fronts. The one was this idea that, that input one on the TV is going to be worth, it's going to be a billion-dollar industry, and everyone's kind of clamoring to be able to claim that. And at the same time, though, you've got to start the ball rolling. You start the ball rolling with sales, with the early adopters are traditionally the kind of hardcore gamers. And as soon as they turn against you, they were they were facing the prospect of kind of crippling, I think it was four to one pre-orders in favor of the PS4 when this kind of U-turn came about. So it, ultimately it was kind of money that that pushed them towards that. I mean, they, they managed to get parity this generation, but they had a year's head start on Sony's console. And they also had it their own, you know, the, the 360 was significantly uh priced better off um so i think they just realized that you know too much was too much and they weren't going to find that market and then you also have the minor problem which was lots of the ideas of the usability about it was based on things that were weren't yet announced people assumed they would build this big partnership with sky people were looking at what they were doing in the states with with cable tv and simplifying things and those kind of things just didn't really translate to a european market 
Now they've already kind of written off Japan. They were there were already quotes they were saying that it they basically peaked as a market. So that you've written off Japan, you've got a lot of features that aren't going to look that great in Europe. You know, it really was going to be a little kind of US centric, you know, cable simplifying box, and that was just kind of quite worrying. It's probably too late though, isn't it? Haven't they shot themselves in the foot so badly they've actually blown it off and now they're going to be limping for the for the next four or five years? Yes, but I mean, you know, they have bought up a lot of gaming studios. They they will have a lot of exclusives, and at the end of the day, I mean, don't forget the the three hundred and sixty. You believe certain kind of failure rates was spectacularly high, and yet you know people don't tend to think of that anymore. So, I think you know. At a given point, you can ride past that with enough decent games. The problem is, is that launch lineups are usually quite poor anyway, and people buy based on, on features and you know newfangled technology. And if if the the idea was, you know, you can do everything that you can do previously, only you can't actually do it, then <laughs> there's there's no great selling point there anymore. Uh, what happened um, post U-turn? The Amazon pre-orders went back up, didn't they? Did the uh, Xbox One overtook the PS4 again. I don't know where it is right now, but it, it, it certainly for two or three days it went back ahead. So it seems that they've done. They've done. I know it, it's much more entrenched in the US, the 360, than it is uh, in other territories. Yeah, but, but those numbers worldwide, or they just for for the US? I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it was Amazon.com. So presumably, it's just yeah, it's just US figures. Yeah, and we've been knee-jerk after the U-turn. I mean, frankly, it's still overpriced. And no one it's wants still a hard connect. sell. It's, no I mean, one wants to me, connect, so they're basically paying for a, a feature they don't want. Well, to me, the U-turn, it just lost It lost the major thing that I would think sounded really good, which was the family sharing. Uh, just the way I game, I'm not a, a massive gamer. I don't have time these days, and I've got a small circle of friends who I know who do game, and, and my nephew does, and the idea of the, you know, the family sharing was superb to me, and it was actually more of a system seller. And now, for me, they've just completely lost it. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I'm now left with something that's prospectively slightly less powerful than the PS4. Uh, bundled with a peripheral I don't really want. Hello? Oh. Yeah. Oh, he's turned up. Hi. <laughs> Sorry, were you, wait- were you waiting on me? Yeah. No. <laughs> We're halfway through now. <laughs> <laughs> Half eight it was, wasn't it, no? No, eight o'clock. <laughs> I really... Oh, he sent out like six emails, <laughs> including one this morning. <laughs> oh, I'm really Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so joining us now is uh, Games Podcast presenter Steve Hill. Good evening, Steve. Hello. You're a bit late. <laughs> yeah, so I gather I'm really, really sorry. I'm sure it said half eight. Maybe, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, maybe I was wrong. So the first, uh, the, the first weekly podcast after a good start. So um, we're talking Xbox at the minute. Xbox One Eighty, the big uh, U-turn. Just gone through some stuff, Steve. Just to bring you up to date. I mean, us and the listeners are up to date, uh, but we'll be kind here and we'll bring you up to date. Um, so, what were your thoughts on the U-turn? Um, be interesting if you if you hit some of the points we've already discussed. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's great news for the gamer, but I think for me, I was already okay with all of the DRM and a lot of the issues um, that, that people had. That the whole U-turn thing really says more for me about um, companies in this age and consumer power and. Uh, you know, Microsoft have already had to make a backtrack or appear to have made a backtrack on the start button in Windows 8. It's uh, They look fools, really. And, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if uh, we had Instagram not so long ago um, uh, change, try and change their terms, I think, and then suddenly there was a U-turn there because of uh, online backlash, you know, possibly. 
Um, yeah, I think it says more for about where we're at in this modern age of the internet and uh, instant feedback from, from cons- consumers, really. So it's interesting what you said there, um, Steve, about you know uh, consumer power and listening to the internet, because certainly in my experience of 15 years of being online and using forums and, and so on, um, forums are full of negativity. I'm, I'm going to get some abuse for that, I think, but generally people are more inclined to write about stuff that they dislike rather than writing about stuff that they like. And uh, is it dangerous for a company to, to listen to just that feedback? Um, yeah, of course it is. But, and I don't think they ever would. I, I think it was as much to do with Sony being in completely the opposite direction um, as it was about anything else. Uh, you know, in the eyes of the competition, you know, they'd lost a major, major battle. So... You know, I, I suppose as much as I say it's uh, consumer consumer power, it's as much as about, you know, looking poor against the competition. But I still think it is a big watershed for, you know, the way companies respond to, you know, that instant feedback. I mean, it wasn't just forums. I think the, the games press in general probably got a lot to answer for as well. Talking about feedback, has anyone else had a survey from live come through to them via email? No, not me. It, it was Definitely bit- not me. It was genuinely interesting because there was loads of stuff up to the point of, you know, the DRM and the 24-hour check-in where people were saying, but no one's actually asked for this improvement. No one's actually said this is something that they want. This is something that, you know, Microsoft have tried to be, you know, what they're not, which is a trendsetter, and they've kind of stumbled over themselves. But the survey was kind of pretty much full of the questions that you would have assumed would have been asked beforehand. It was lots of things about how how you rate TV and apps versus multiplayer for value of live, uh, what type of set-top box you have, how interested you'd, you'd be in um, TV and recommendations was, from And that friends. was post, post-U-turn? That was post-U-turn. This literally came through to <laughs> me a, a few days ago, how interested you'd be in you know, Skype whilst watching TV or a movie, uh, consolidate all your entertainment yeah. into a single integrated guide on my Xbox. That and the fact that even... Yeah, that two they years, even two years late, isn't it? That email. I know, but the fact they even they actually misspelt Xbox on the end of it. No, they did. They put the capital B there, so wow. it's it's kind of an outsourced That's survey. Not a misspelling, is it? That's just, <laughs> just, just well, Steve, you, you left the uh, three zero off the eight thirty in my email, so <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does happen. <laughs> but it does say that you know that that there is a little bit of reflection going on that they've suddenly realised that perhaps... I mean, I actually think that a lot of the ideas were good ideas. I just think they were too far ahead of their time and they were just really, really poorly sold. If they'd come out and said, yeah, we're moving towards a digital future, we're sorry about this, but by the same token, we can guarantee you that all games for digital download will be at least 10% cheaper than yeah, exactly. you know the base rate of them in a retail store, I would have signed up there and then. I would have said, yeah. that's brilliant. You know, I love the fact that now it seems odd that, you know, at the beginning of this generation, we had such small hard drives that the idea of installing a couple of games was, you know, you had to basically delete everything that you had on there. Now, you know, you can install so many games that the idea of instant switching really appeals to me. But it's just that idea that, you know, I, I think I said this on the gaming podcast, when I went to go and download Bioshock Infinite, I could buy it for, you know, £35 online and wait a couple of days for it. Or I could get it there and then. I assumed the digital version, which has no resale value, would have been cheaper. And it was about 60 quid. 
you know, well, why, you get, uh, why are the downloads so expensive? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, because they know they can get away with it to an extent. Yeah, but they, you know. There's no shop involved. There's no middleman. There's no production. There's no packaging. There's no shipping. So justifiably, they should be cheaper just on that basis alone. The fact that they're not means they're just being ripped off. They should yeah. be priced equivalent to Steam on the PC, really. There's, there's no reason yeah, why they shouldn't be. That's a good be. example. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, all we're doing here is delaying the inevitable because on the next generation of consoles, they're going to be all download and they'll have you, you know, by the short and curlies and you'll have to pay whatever they charge you and you'll never be able to sell the games on and you'll have to do whatever you're told. So it's just uh, delaying the inevitable bullet in the head, isn't it, for most gamers, I suppose. The, the existence of where a big, big game is coming out and you can pre-order it and at midnight it unlocks, you know, and you don't have to go out to a shop or you don't have to queue the next day. You know, I, I remember queuing for Call of Duty and it was like fun for the first couple of years, but now it just seems so, I mean, it just seems a little immature to me. You yeah, know, this system could have been brilliant. They're, and they're, they're, using and they're that, blown it. They're using that um, as a potential model for 4K streaming where it will download a little bit overnight for a few weeks up until the release date and then when yeah it's released... but red red ray are doing a similar thing aren't they where yeah it's kind so... of it gets all the movies like the first five minutes or something yeah and then it just downloads until launch day and then on launch day you can buy it and it's already there on your hard drive and you can watch it straight away no buffering that kind of thing um interesting with microsoft's u-turn I, I get the feeling that during the life of this console we're going to see all this stuff come back uh, I yeah. think that's I think that's inevitable. Everything they've talked about, it's going to come back. And didn't look, didn't they say it was still going to be possible for some of the features if you digitally downloaded? So gate titles that you have digitally downloaded will still be eligible for for certain for certain features. There was a lot of confusion after it, but I'm sure I'm sure someone came out and said that on I Twitter. I think that's I think you know, Mark. I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there. I think that this whole thing has just been really poor communication. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you you guys agree with me on the gaming side, but. For me, there's not been enough information coming from Microsoft. It's been, look at this, look how fantastic it is. But when the questions have then been asked, the inevitable questions, there's been a lot of misinformation coming from different sectors of, of Microsoft. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, they've been caught on their arrogance and then they've got no way of, of actually saying in a charismatic, um, engaging way, look, okay, you know, this this was done for this reason or this is going to be done for this reason. And, and trust us, you know, when the time comes, you'll see the benefits of this and that. And it, it, it was just done with so much arrogance that everyone felt a bit patronised, you know. Do you feel the same, Mark? Yeah, I do. I think it's, I think just in a general terms, though, I just think they showed the wrong part of their business model. If you're moving towards licenses and the license is ultimately what you're paying for, what you'll pay many more times the, the worth of the console throughout its lifespan, then when you, you unveil the console, the box is the least interesting bit. You know, no one wants to know how you pay for the box. Everyone wants to know how you pay for the games. Everyone wants to know what the pricing will be for that. Everyone wants to know what happens, where the, the kind of limits of that license lie. But then you, you realise that they haven't even really, I think they came out and said that they, they hadn't actually finalised all the, the, the publisher and developer contracts and that kind of thing. And, you know, the fact that they didn't have Sky on board already and it, it seemed yeah. almost like they were going cap in hand to them to say, no, we will have these features. They, they, they hadn't finalised anything. They could have spun it so differently with the family share feature, you know, say something like share everything, you know, with friends. I mean, just just make it sound positive, and they made everything sound negative, and and just stuff the whole thing up, and then made themselves look foolish with the with the whole back backtracking. Uh, the the one that got me is Connect is always watching you. 
Way to sell something. <laughs> yeah, you can tell how many, people are, how many people are playing the game and then charge you more if there's more than one person <laughs> sitting there or something like that. So I'm sure uh, the guys are going to go into this in more detail uh, come the gaming podcast on the 14th. The only other bit of, of news that's just breaking this evening as we're recording this is Don Matrick is allegedly leaving Microsoft tonight. Yeah. I, I, I did see this before we came on. That's why I was late, Steve. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, you know, the guy looks an utter clown and he's going to take the, you know, the bulk of the fall of this thing, even though it probably shouldn't. Allegedly. Um, allegedly just, a clown. Let's get that in there. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly a clown, of course. Um, Only children's parties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, someone's got to be the fall guy. He'll inevitably end up taking that. I mean, Microsoft just don't have a great history of, of, of doing these things on the level of, uh, of their target audience. So, you know, I guess we'll all wave him off into the sunset. What's he doing, Facebook games or something? Very uninspiring. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is telling when you look at how Sony handled the whole thing and then Microsoft, you could tell who the consumer electronics company was yeah, definitely. because they just absolutely nailed it. Um, and then afterwards, you know, these funny little videos, you know, how to Twist, share your twisted game. Twisted the and, knife good, in good style, didn't Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, and, you know, you got handed to Sony. These, these yeah. are the guys that fought for Blu-ray. You know, there was that, that whole format war and all the rest of it. So the, there are no fools when it comes to format wars or, or, you know, competing products and that kind of thing. Anyway, we need to move on. Uh, just wrapping up on the games side of things, Mark, um, what games have been reviewed and what can we look for in the next seven days? Um, just up, uh, State of Decay, good at Xbox Live Arcade game. Uh, Leon's looked at that one. Uh, my review of The Last of Us has just gone online, and Ben will be looking at, I think it's the latest build of Prison Architect. Cool. So let's move on to movies, and um, what's at the cinema, Steve? Well, Phil, um, this is my weekly uh, spot where I'm basically going to go and see all the so you guys don't have to. And yeah. uh, last week, um, I went to go and see This Is The End which uh, is the new film from Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who wrote Superbad, and they also wrote uh, Pineapple Express. But this time they've actually write, written and directed uh, This Is The End. Um, it's one of those interesting things. I don't know how it is in Hollywood, but they always seem to end up making two films about the same subject simultaneously. So this year we've already had uh, White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen, both of which are about the White House being under attack. And then in about two or three weeks' time, we've got... Uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's new movie, The World's End, which is also an apocalyptic comedy. Um, in this one, uh, you have James, James Franco, Seth Rogen, uh, Jonah Hill, all playing sort of fictionalised versions of themselves, which is, uh, it can be either good or bad. I mean, people like Larry David have done quite a good job of kind of pl ploughing that particular comedy field. Um, the danger is that it becomes too sort of self-congratulate, uh, self backslapping, congratulatory, you know, kind of uh, everyone's having too much fun behind the camera and not having much, as much fun in, in front of it, if you know what I mean. Um, in this case, to be fair, there's a little bit of that, but it's there's lots of gags. It's very funny. Uh, if you like Seth Rogen, if you like um, the kind of movies those guys do, if you like Danny McBride, you're going to really enjoy it. There's lots of in-jokes. They ever dig at quite a few horror movies, you know, The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby. Uh, for first-time directors, they do a pretty good job, um, Evan and, and Seth. You know, it's, it's well-made. It's uh, it's mostly taking place in James Franco's house. Where they've, what basically happens is they will get to a party and then the end of the world happens, the apocalypse, as in, you know, revelations, uh, end, of, end of times, rapture, all that sort of stuff, and they're left behind. And they basically hold up in there in James Franco's house, um, 
waiting for the inevitable, you know, arrival of demons and brimstone and uh, loads and loads and absolutely just about every major young comedy star in America seems to be in this film. There's quite a few interesting cameos. Emma Watson turns up at one point. Michael Cera nearly steals the film playing a, <laughs> a, a coke-addled sex pest version of himself that is absolutely hysterical. Um, it, it, it's good fun. It, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I am a fan of, of their movies. So for me, it was really playing sing, singing to the choir, to be honest. If you're not a fan, you probably won't enjoy it. Uh, but if you are a fan, you'll love it. It's, it's you know, it's it's certainly a, a good teaser before we get to the main course in two weeks' time with uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and the third part of their Blood and Ice Cream trilogy. I haven't seen it. I was going to go today. I was really tempted to go and catch it um, before we recorded, but I just didn't didn't have time. I mean, I love those kind of movies, so it seems right up my my alley. Yes, if, if you if you like uh, lots of knob jokes and um, and really inappropriate humour. There I live. Some, I live for no jokes. There is some fantastic. <laughs> there's. Uh, there's. Uh, well, I don't know how to say this really. A, a, a character gets interfered with by a demon with a very large erect phallus, which is very <laughs> funny in my opinion. Sold. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a POV from the point of view of of, an, of a severed head at one point, which I thought was quite funny too. Uh, it, it, it is uh, Emma Watson is great when she turns up, and Michael Cera gets killed by a falling lamppost. It's not a major spoiler because that's actually in the trailer. Um, but if you don't like Michael Cera, that's worth seeing in itself. I've got to say, I'm I'm looking more towards the Edgar Wright Simon Pegg film. This one, I, I haven't been a huge fan of the previous output, and um, I've read a couple of negative reviews so i think this is definitely a rental or a stream for me anybody else well the thing is seth rogan's a pain and he's just an awful voice and nobody likes him <laughs> and you put him in a film and the whole film falls apart so it's going to be rubbish <laughs> harsh nice to see you sitting on the fence there, well you know yeah saying that though that when he voiced paul i thought that was quite uh, unique ah so. but he was surrounded by talent then wasn't he he's yeah, not very here. true very true not surrounded by talent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. So, Steve, your review is up on the site now. If people want to go and see it, it's avforums.com forward slash movies. A subject we have covered in previous home cinema podcasts, and that's the whole uh, streaming and different platform releases of movies. And quite interesting, this week, uh, a film called The Field in England is going to be released multi-platform, which means it's going to appear in the cinema, streaming, on-demand, on film four, um, and am I missing something? Oh yeah, Blu-ray and DVD. Um, so, Steve, tell us a little bit about the film, and then we can discuss the multi-platform release side of things. Well, it's it's by um, Ben Wheatley, who made Kill List. And I should probably go on record here as saying that I absolutely hated Kill List. It's a film that made me physically angry when I saw it. I can't begin to tell you how much I hated that film. Um, but that's just me. I know other people like Chris loved it, but I've just Despised it and have vowed never to watch another one of his films ever again, even though I know the sight series is actually supposed to be quite funny. But anyway, he's made this film. It's um it's actually widescreen cinemascope, well not cinemascope, but you know, widescreen 2.35 to 1, and in black and white, which in itself is unusual. I was really struggling to think of many other films that have been shot widescreen, but in black and white, apart from the longest day. I couldn't think of anything else. Um and, and it's basically set during the English Civil War, and it's a bunch of guys basically searching for a field. I think where there's some gold has been hidden. Um, so it sounds interesting and I probably will watch it because it's on Channel 4 on Friday night uh, and it's not going to cost me anything so I might just record it and watch it one day when I'm bored um, but what makes it unique uh, certainly uh, as far as I'm aware uh, in this country at least is the way that it's, you know, it has this multi-platform release schedule which is you know um, 
is it, I don't know whether it's the, the, the way that, you know, a sign of things to come or, or whether it's just going to be a massive fade and everyone will watch it for free on Channel 4 and never watch it again. But uh, it is interesting that they are doing this multi-platform release. Um, maybe just to get some, you know, some I think that's it. P- it creates PR for the film, doesn't it? It creates a splash in itself, doesn't it? I can see this happening with other movies. I can't see it happening wholesale across the board. I still think there'll be periods of exclusivity, but not necessarily just to theatres, but uh, on-demand services or, or, or you know, or whatever media it's coming through. There will be uh, incentives and exclusivity periods applied to to certain um, content. If you're a member of the Rich Club, you can already do this. There are certain millionaires who can hire a film on day of release for their home theatres. It's not a new thing from that angle. The whole multi-platform release thing for A Fool in England, I think, goes a little bit too far in terms of it's on terrestrial TV, so it's fairly easy for everybody to go and watch it on that and not go to the cinema. But it also ties in with what Sony and Disney are doing in South Korea at the moment, which is that they are putting their new release movies as they hit the cinemas, they're also putting them up as streams. Um, and you can stream it, obviously, for a cost, uh, but you can stream the movie, and they say it's a, an anti-piracy approach. Um, it's interesting that Sony and Disney, two huge, massive studios, are doing that in South Korea. Um, a Field in England, I, I believe that this is a film for um, British-made film steve with uh local yeah, yeah, it's funding a low budget british movie yeah um, and so, as you say for the fact it's on tv on friday night for free is obviously going to i think slightly scupper any chances of it selling any yeah i mean there have been releases before where they've done cinema and day and date uh like blu-ray or or, or dvd releases and i've got a dvd uh, a film called Bubble by Steven Soderbergh that was released on DVD the same day as it was in the cinema, um, and, and that kind of makes a bit more sense because at least you are getting some revenue out of out of the release on the same day. I guess in the in the end, you know, it's inevitable that one day we'll move to. I'm sure the studios will want to maximise the revenue as fast as possible. I don't, I don't want to be the the cynical one, but I, I'd be interested to know how many um, discs they've actually had printed up because they must know that you know if anyone's really gonna be that interested in seeing it they'll watch it live on tv anyway or sky plus it or whatever and three hundred thousand is not actually a, a huge amount of money to try and make back over the you know the next six months through various different means i mean in advertising alone they can get you know a few hundred grand if they're quite canny with getting um you know, the right sponsorship or the right tie-in. So I don't think it represents a massive risk on the part of Film 4, and especially if they were the ones that originally backed it. I mean, I don't know who the backers were. Yeah, it's Film 4. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, self-perpetuating hype, isn't it? And I'll give it, give hype, it, more, it more PR outside of the UK. I don't know what the release schedule is, is, is for the rest of Europe or for the US, but it might generate enough word of mouth that they'll get some people to go and see it elsewhere. So I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they're not, I'm, they're not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're doing it for a reason. They'll flog it onto Netflix when they finish with it anyway, won't they, surely? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the interesting thing, it, for me anyway, is the South Korean angle. This, this one, I feel in England, I think it's an interesting experiment, but I think we kind of know which way it's going to go. For me, the more interesting thing is Sony and Disney doing that in South Korea, and will that then you know, roll out to other regions? There was, I forget what the film was now, but... Um, there was uh, an attempt to uh, reduce the um, theatrical to disc window. Um, so Tim, was it last year? Uh, Alice, in, Alice, in, Alice Wonderland. in Wonderland. That's the one. So, so they wanted to reduce that from something like seventeen weeks to ten weeks, um, and Odeon 
uh, basically spat the dummy out and said, "Well, we'll we won't show it in our cinemas yeah. if that's the case." Oh, I remember yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. And and they had to back out of it in the end. So you know, is it the future for cinema? I mean, the, I think one of the things that that we see on a constant basis, Simon, is um, a film makes more tends to make more money on its uh, Blu-ray and DVD cycle than it does in the cinema nowadays. So is this what the studios are looking at? Well, that that is certainly true, Phil. Um, the studios look at the money they get in the theatre as sort of a bonus. The real money is in, after the fact, the DVDs, the Blu-rays, um, the advertising once it goes on to the television. Um, I mean, I, I personally, this, this particular film, I wouldn't want to watch it on film for, even though it's free, because you've got adverts stuck three or four times in the middle of it. Doesn't interest me whatsoever. I'd much rather have the Blu-ray, um, or I'd rather go and see it at the cinema. In this instance, I'd probably see it. I'd probably get it on Blu-ray because um, you know, cinema can be such a pain in the ass. <laughs> just kidding. So that's coming from the movies <laughs> editor. Right I'm way, just getting so <laughs> Do you I not enjoy going to the cinema, really? Oh, I do. I really. I've I've taken to go to on on a Tuesday where it's cheap. It's two for one. I go with my son. I'm going tomorrow to see uh, Despicable Me in 2D at 4.15 when there's hopefully nobody there, okay? That's just why I go, because there's nobody there and there's nothing better than having a whole cinema to yourself and you can just sit back and enjoy the sound and the spectacle and the big... I've got to disagree with that because I went to see Skyfall uh, morning of release in an IMAX screen which was packed out and the whole thing is audience participation and seeing it... Um, socially with a crowd. I think that is the magic of cinema for me. That's a big-ticket movie. You, you want to see it yeah, with other people, uh, and they're designed to, to and, be seen. And, and the, best, the best thing I've ever seen in the cinema was I, I went to a, a, a premiere screening of Trainspotting in Edinburgh. So it was a local audience. That's it the was, place to see it. It was a film based in the city. It was characters, everybody. And the whole audience participation thing was absolutely brilliant. The scene with the toilet, you know, the, the, the groans mm-hmm. people, you know, almost being sick and so on and then the the line about the english you know the english are just um we just happen to be colonized by there was one guy stood up in the cinema and went yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it's not a common phenomenon in the uk but you know the audience don't really get going i mean the only times i've ever seen that is in the states i remember the first time uh i went to the cinema in in new york and i saw uh after the sunset the pierce brosnan um heist movie and people would clap and cheer, like, during the film. I'd never seen that. I thought it was brilliant. I mean, obviously, it's not right for every movie, but a popcorn movie is a popcorn movie, right? I, I know what you're saying, Simon, because there are times where I'll look at something and I'll think, right, I want to go and see that, and I'm going to go see it on Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. because there's no teenagers, there's no kids, mm-hmm. there's no people talking on their phones and that kind of thing. I think for big films like Skyfall and, and et cetera, where you've got a big audience and everybody's getting into the movie. It's a great experience. And the cinema chains are, are, are not silly either. And the cinema industry uh, introducing Dolby Atmos and, and Aura 11.1, we're, we're not going to see them in the home, uh, those formats. So they're trying to think of ways of getting us to go into the cinema. But coming back to the main point, it's all about money. And it seems to be that unless you have a weekend, a good weekend... Your your film's not picked up for the for the following week by the cinemas. Yeah, you're dead if you don't have. A and you're dead. And when you're looking at the budgets nowadays for movies, and it's getting stupid, it really is. I mean, even Steven Spielberg and George Lucas came out a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, the industry is is likely to implode because the budgets are just too high, and the attention span of a modern audience 
and everything else added on top of that with streaming and and being able to get it in different formats and so on that has to be a new business model is is that something you would agree with steve steve hello steve with us <laughs> This was going to be a problem, it really was. <laughs> or I'll ask Mark and it'll be which Mark. Uh, let's go, <laughs> let's go St Steve Hill first. Uh, so a question again? <laughs> <laughs> All that build-up, uh, yeah. You weren't um, even listening, were you, Steve? You weren't even listening. I've got the other Steve. He was At least he was listening and then you can catch up. I forgot what you said as well. Hey. <laughs> Hang on, what were we talking about? <laughs> where, where am I? Oh, oh um... No, I've totally, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, well, basically, it's it's the business model. Is is Hollywood yes, yes. going to collapse because of the budgets nowadays, because of the expectations? The, the budgets are, are getting ridiculous. Uh, and because of that, um, that's why we're getting so many franchise movies, so many um, movies based on established um, properties or sequels, because yeah, they've got a guaranteed audience. And when you're safe. spending 200, 250 million plus marketing costs on a movie, you have to guarantee an opening weekend. Otherwise, you are dead. Uh, look, Disney made John Carter, no big name star, not a really well-known, um, you know, material. It's an old Edgar Rice Burroughs um, Pulp Fiction book, um, and it cost them $250 million, and they, ate, they they bought the farm on that one. You know, you need at least a, a big name star. If it's not a big name star, then you need a, a really well-established franchise. And, I, and that's why there's so many comic book movies at the moment, because, you know, they've got a built-in audience. But going back to the original point you were making, Phil, about um, uh, having the streaming or making it available for streaming in Asia at the same time as the cinema release. Having lived in Asia, the, the reason for that, quite simply, is the level of piracy out there is astronomical. I mean, every time I was in a pub, in a bar in Hong Kong, there'd be a Chinese guy going around with a suitcase full of DVDs going, you know, copy DVD, copy DVD. You know, everyone was buying them. Nobody went to the movies or bought stuff legitimately, uh, except for me, because obviously, you know, I wanted good quality. But... The level of piracies. Sorry. They're, well, they normally got porn in the back of the uh, the bag. If you ask nicely, you'll, you'll get the porn out. You're speaking from yeah. experience there. Steve. Hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> you come round in Soho on a Friday, they'll be selling the fake cigarettes. The movies will come out, and you sorry, out. sorry, who, who buys porn on DVD? There's a thing called the internet now. <laughs> well, they knew their target market because Friday night in Soho, where everyone's absolutely <laughs> faced. Sorry, that's another beat for you, Phil. Um, you, you, you've definitely got an audience there. I think that little Chinese guy knew that too when he was in the bars in Hong Kong. So let's just uh, quickly wrap this one up. It's something we'll come back to in future podcasts. But is this the future? Are they doing the right thing? Or is is, is cinema going to die for it? I mean, what's what's people's sort of roundup on this? Let's go to Simon first. No, well, yeah, I mean, it is the future. But cinema's not dead. It's a long way from dead. Despite my own reservations, you guys have nailed it, on, nailed it exactly. You know, people are still going to want to go to the cinema for the very reasons that you've listed. I will still go to the cinema, but for different reasons. I'd much rather go and sit on my own and Yabu sucks to the world. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I will still go and I will still pay the money. Yeah. So we're all going, but for different reasons. So that for that reason, cinema isn't dead and it won't be. And, you know, they keep throwing more money at it with the, you mentioned Dolby Atlas and, and all the big, bigger screens, better sound, which you're not going to get um, in the home. So cinema isn't dead. It's a long way from dead. Um, they just, big studios have got to learn that um, the more money you throw at a picture doesn't make it a better film. You know, scale yeah. it back a bit. Yeah, Hobbit, a good, Hobbit, a good example of that. You know, giving somebody too much leeway with something. Mm -hmm. But that's another yeah. subject for another day. Uh, let's go, Mark. No, I don't think cinema's dead. I think you'll see it split, though. I think you'll see more. 
I think you'll see the the kind of middling sized cinemas slowly dwindle away, and it will be either large, you know, very big scale, you know, plush cinemas where people will congregate to in in the, the kind of larger cities, or very much kind of small indie. I think that the kind of middling sized cinemas had its day, but this uh, as the future, it just sounds right now more like a kind of big kind of PR campaign than anything else. Yeah, I don't think the cinema's dead just yet. Particularly with family films, it's an event when you're taking the kids out. You know, it's it's not something you can't recreate in the home so easily. It's you know, it's a, it's an afternoon out, and I think that will always exist. Um, whether they'll be, they'll look at it a bit more closely in the future with particular titles and the kind of content, and if they think they might get better numbers by streaming, you know, simultaneously. They might look at it on, on that basis, but I certainly don't see the, the cinema as dead. Uh, no, I don't think cinema's dead for the reason you've already mentioned, Phil, which is that it's a communal experience and, you know, a, a good horror film or a comedy is always much more fun when you're with a crowd of people or laughing or screaming at the same time. Uh, what will happen is, as, as Mark Botwright's just said, is that, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll move more towards the, the, the big epic, you know, big screen, you know, big event day out at the cinema in a huge screen, uh, IMAX or 3D or whatever it is, uh, you know, Dolby Atmos, you know, things to make it more of an event. Um, and that will probably mean that the middle-sized cinemas are going to suffer, but there'll still be the small art house ones who cater towards, you know, the more obscure movies you would normally see at the big, uh, the big venues. No way. No way is it. Uh, I think Lucas has been a big fat troll, uh, having just sold, you know, all of the Star <laughs> Wars rights for X amount of, billions upon billions so you know it's all very easy to sit there and suddenly start taking swipes and and Spielberg you know he's an absolute legend of course but you know even he struggled to get Lincoln backed and it was very nearly a TV movie you know I I, I think their guys are slightly disillusioned with the way that the business is you know people aren't going to stop going I think it says more for independent cinema and you know to make something for 300 grand and then find a platform on Netflix or Amazon or something like that. You know, that, that, that's interesting, you know, to, for those guys to maybe run a, a film festival or something where the release is online and people can watch and, you know, vote on the best one, you know, I, I can't wait where, where viewers actually vote the winner. I think that's a far more that's happening. Now. I mean, that's happening now, isn't it? With TV series, Amazon have done exactly that. They? Yeah, exactly. And I, the vote. And I think the thing about um, Amazon and Netflix as well is they don't may, may not necessarily have the kind of technical, um, you know, requirements that someone like the B, you know, if you're going to shoot something for the BBC or for broadcast, you've got to hit very clear, defined technical levels, you know. And Phil, as you well, know, I don't know, I don't know about that, uh, Steve, because uh, House of that. House of Cards on Netflix was absolutely stellar. I mean, they had David Fincher running the show. No, 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 of course, superb. and they, and they, so they spent they, a huge they amount it. of money. Yeah, 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 of course. I, I'm not saying that they, um, they they don't spend a lot of money. What I'm saying is it, it could open it up to a, a new breed of independent production house, someone that doesn't need to ever aim to get their movie in the cinema. They can instead aim to find platforms online and still make good money, you know, and still earn a living and fund new projects. I think that's really exciting. That, that's, that's interesting that you raise that because YouTube and Vimeo um, are moving to video on demand um, platforms just to do that so independent filmmakers can sell their their product um, yeah. on YouTube or on Vimeo so yeah. already it's moving that way so I, I think you're going to see a clear divide if there's not already a massive divide between Hollywood and Bollywood and everybody else um, but where things are progressing is is with TV um, 
and that was one of the the points that Spielberg made, and it, and it was an important point. TV really has moved on now, and where in the past you had big directors who would avoid TV um, and see it as second best to Hollywood, as Steve alluded to, you, you've got David Fincher moving over to Netflix, giving a hundred million and and make this series, which helped obviously, <laughs> which which helps. But Netflix took the gamble. And I have to say, it's probably one of the best TV series I've watched in a long time. It's phenomenal. And I guess, Super. I guess the one that really kicked it off, and and this is my little uh, segue into this subject matter, was Here comes the Sopranos. Was the Sopranos? Um, <laughs> it, it was one of well, the, H- HBO particularly. Isn't HBO, it? yeah. Um, did you like that segue? I thought it was really well done. That. Um, <laughs> so Raw is segue. Better if Mark had just blown it. I saw it. I saw it come in three minutes ago. <laughs> So anyway, I mean, obviously, The Sopranos was was probably one of the first to to really sort of push the envelope, have something that looked cinematic, um, that wasn't necessarily episodic, um, but actually just told a story over over so many seasons. Um, and sadly, we lost James Gandolfini um, last week. I, I've got to be honest here and say that I only watched season one. And I've still to catch the rest. What, um, what about oh, you guys? God. Wow, you are That's... in for a treat. Yeah, you are. I'm, je- I'm jealous. jealous of you. Yes, absolutely. I'm jealous of you. All right. It's just I'm that busy. I kind of watch everything. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, so what's what's your guys' thoughts on on obviously the passing of uh, James Gandolfini, but the series in general? I think Sopranos was was one of the. I mean, HBO uh, for a number of years had been edging towards that, but I think that was one of the breakthrough shows for them in terms of you know it was quality television with with really good direction, fantastic cast, brilliant acting, superb writing. Very, very much adult fare, uh, you know, adult drama f- made by adults for adults. Uh, it was just something you don't get at the cinema anymore. Now all movies are made for 14-year-old boys, so you don't get anything remotely edgy. Uh, you've got to go to places like HBO to get it. Uh, and not just Sopranos, but after that, they had things like The Wire, which again was absolutely brilliant. Uh, now you've got them with things like uh, Boardwalk Empire, which was, of course, had the pilot directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, and then, and then you've got Game of Thrones, which is actually knocking out of the park at the moment in terms of quality to the television drama. So, it was the one of the early HBO shows that really set set a st- marker out, I think, for quality television uh, in a way that you just wouldn't have got certainly not not on network TV, uh, certainly not on US network TV. Um, you know that you had to go to someone like HBO or the other, other like Showtime, I guess, and some of the other cable networks, but. Uh, you know, they were the first one to really get in the big names, big, uh, really talented writers and directors and give them free reign. And then that's one of the reasons why Fincher went to Netflix with uh, House of Cards was because Netflix said to them, we'll give you 100 million and you can do whatever you want. Uh, and and, and Net- HBO have been doing that to a degree as well. They would you know, commission an entire series. You know, and it's not like, like a US network where you get, you know, for 12 weeks and if you haven't got the numbers, you're cancelled. HBO will... Uh, We'll commission the whole series, a bit like the BBC will do. So that's why they're shorter, obviously, they're only like 10 or 12 episodes. But, you know, you know you're going to get a full series. You're not going to get a cutoff. You're not going to go a firefly on you. And halfway through it, it's just going to get cancelled. Um, and, and The Sopranos is one of the first shows that really, I'm um, fairly, for, for me as a non, as, as a UK resident rather than US person who wasn't so exposed to HBO, it was one of the first big HBO shows that I saw. Yeah, it was a, a pioneering um, series. Um, and it built, built on itself over the five seasons that it ran for um it just got better and better i only dipped towards the end slightly and it ended terribly in my opinion really but you think uh, so? 
I like the ending. How else? How else do you end it? Well, we gotta be careful because of Phil. Hey, 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 hey! Shh, shh! No spoilers. I think the writer's stride didn't really help its cause towards the end, did it? But other than that, it was absolutely sensational. But um, I mean, James Gandolfini. He, he, what perfect casting! Absolutely perfect casting. He was Tony Soprano, and you, the problem with that is that you couldn't see him as anything else. You yeah. see him in, in anything since, and yeah. even before, you think, "Oh, look, it's just Tony. being Tony." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a stunning piece of casting, and he was brilliant at it. Absolutely brilliant. The, you know, the, the funny, the funny thing is, he apparently in the audition um, felt he was doing so badly that he actually stopped everything and said, "Can I come back tomorrow and redo it for you? Go again." And they were so taken aback, they said, "Yeah, fine." Is that right? I didn't know. That's absolutely know. true. Yeah, he did. He did a really, really amazing um, uh, interview on. Uh, I think it's Inside the Actors Guild or something. It's a series they do in the yeah, states. Yeah, I I'll send the link through, and we can put it in the show notes. And he he's just so candid in it, and so open. He, he really was, you know, just an amazing, amazing actor. First time I ever saw him was in. Uh, well, I was aware of him at least was in True Romance, where he plays the hitman and gives a speech to Patricia Arquette before he, they have that massive punch yeah, up. The, the homosexual hitman. No, no, no. That's the Mexican. I think he plays. Oh, right, he's, okay. just, he's just the guy who goes the first time he kills somebody. Oh my goodness! You are, yeah, you throw I remember up. the scene. Yeah, sorry. It's <laughs> Bruce. Yeah, he's absolutely terrifying. And when she, she stabs him in the foot and he goes, right, no one missed a nice guy. <laughs> you know, she's going to get a serious beating at that point. Um, but that was memorable. Very memorable. It's only a small scene. He's in I think, one or two scenes. Uh, but he was incredibly memorable. So sadly, uh, James Gandolfini no longer with us yet. Um, I have the seasons after season one to catch up on. And uh, with what everybody's been saying, I think I'll look forward to that. And uh crack on with it so just to wrap up on the movies very quickly uh blu-ray review highlights simon what have we got to look for in the next seven days and what have we missed this week okay just published um over the weekend was the uh, american version uh blu-ray edition of life force collector's edition um chris has given it his usual loving attention to detail unsurprisingly, <laughs> unsurprisingly but uh he kind of deserves it because i mean you have to be of a certain age to appreciate this film. For I mean, he, he and I, and I think you as well, Steve. When it first came out, it was something of a of a, of a landmark film. <laughs> Not particularly good film, but uh, it's great for all the right reasons. Um, so that's just been published. Um, I've um, published a, a little known film called Broken, um, which is a little independent film. I was just um, having a, I was just having a read of that, Simon, and uh, piqued my interest. And I had a look at the trailer as well. It looks like a really well done. I'm surprised to see Tim Roth in it as well. Well, yeah, uh, and Cillian Murphy, big names, um, but they only play incidental characters. The the the, the main the main girl, um, uh, Ellie 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 Lawrence, um, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, Twelve years old when she filmed it. She plays an eleven year old, and she hits it every time. It's it's a great film, and really quite shocking. And some of the things that go on, a little bit too close to home in in places. You know, you can recognise all these characters um, from you know if you live in and around um, suburbia. Check it out. Check it out if you can. Um, but up and coming, we have on discs on the way to be reviewed. I can't promise in the next seven days because we're very much um, in the lap of the post gods. Cloud Atlas is coming. Stoker. Um, the Car, which Chris is going to lovingly give uh, full details on. Um, a 1976 Jaws in a car, if you believe that. It's a very strange little film watching tonight. And um That's why Chris's dream. Absolutely. And uh over the top three D rubbish, Oz the Great and Powerful, James James Franco. Uh, which again. I, I saw last week. 
as uh, I quite enjoyed it because at least uh, Sam Raimi lobs things at your eyeballs a lot, which is what's okay. the point of going to see a three D film, frankly. And Cloud Atlas no. is worth seeing. Cloud Atlas is great. It's uh, it's you know it's different. It, 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 we've been moaning about films being so cookie cutter and all the same and franchise and that sort of at least Cloud Atlas dares to be different and for that reason alone it's worth going to see and, and I thought it was actually quite a moving and thought-provoking movie did you see that in the cinema I saw it at home on my home cinema so oh, I couldn't couldn't imagine watching that in the cinema it's too long <laughs> so it's three hours of that about it's not like three, it's yeah not like, it's not like Return of the King long is it <laughs> three hours you see oh that's too much for me even at home it's too much you need to get a better seat <laughs> Oh, yeah. Tell, tell that to my son and wife. I always seem to be uh, last in line for the good seats. So that wraps up uh, the movies uh, for this week. OK, so let's move on. Uh, home cinema time. Uh, we've done 4K to death, guys. It's coming. It's moving along nicely. There's announcements almost on a daily basis at the minute in terms of manufacturers getting behind the format. Let's face it. It's going to come round in September at IFA. Um, I think it'll just be a 4K loving uh, when you go there, Steve. And then when we get to CES, I think the, the buzzword is going to be 4K. So let's look at something a little bit different. And Dolby and others are backing a new high-resolution audio format. I believe it's called Pure. Is that right, Mark? High-fidelity pure audio. Let's right. give it its full catchy title. So, yeah, that's going to really sell, isn't it? Well, the, the obvious <laughs> question... HFPA, maybe. The obvious question has to be, is this yet another SACD and DVD audio? Uh, well, yes. Initial slap, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I, I just, I think it's too late. I think that, I think they're too late. I think the swing to digital downloads has been is so great um, that unless they can get these things out at, at ridiculous prices, then I don't, I just don't see it taking off. I mean, people want, there are people that value quality, but you can, you can download lossless now and, and that market's yeah. growing and, and you know, you can store it all in the cloud and do you really need, so I think the great selling point is you don't have to go out and buy another player because your Blu-ray player will play them, but will people go out and do it? Another matter entirely. No, no one bought I don't think they will do it any significant. No one bought numbers. SACD. I mean, no one cared. So they're just trying to find a way of, you know, keeping Blu-ray going for a bit longer, basically. Which they want to do that, make it 4K. That'll keep you going. For okay. Me. So, Mark, Simon, Steve, does this interest you in any way? No. No. I've already got it. People, people, people don't know. They don't even understand. You know, as far as they're concerned, MP3 is a great format. You know, I don't know who this is for. If it's for like 0.0001% of the world, you know, why? Why, why do it? They're not going to make their money. It's not worth it. But they do give you the uh, MP3 and FLAC digital download as well. But it's just, it just strikes of just too little. As too well? Yeah, as well. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> So most people end up listening to the MP3s anyway. Because yeah, for convenience, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but you see, uh, this is what worries me about this because this is the attitude. Now it, it's MP3 for audio, and we were talking about streaming earlier on. We've we've spoken about it in past podcasts. It, it, is it because it's so easy and so convenient? Are we going to start losing? Is there any point going to 4K? Because the same argument could be well. What's the point of going to 4K? We've got 1080p, it's good enough. Or we've got 720p and it's good enough. I, I was going to say, I, I agree. I, I, I don't think there is a market there. I don't think there'll be a market there for at least another five years. I mean, I, I work in video production and I always offer my clients Blu-rays and nine times out of 10, they're just like, no, DVD will do. You know, they, they're not 
just they're not on that level yet. So, you know, I, I suppose our view is is skewed because we're enthusiasts yeah. and we're reviewers and, and we want everything cutting edge. But again, it's for such a small percentage of people. I mean, and if we're for, not in, if we're not interested in this, then who is going to be interested in this? Yeah, exactly. I mean, my dad, my dad's a massive audiophile. You know, ele- electrostatic speakers and valve amplifiers and you know he's the one who kind of would be interested but as far as he's concerned vinyl is still king so i think it raises an interesting point which phil's just pointed out we are moving into download future so you're already downloading music that's pretty much the way most people access music now they download it um you know Do you guys games, use spotify yeah occasionally yeah I, I, I spotify use has I changed it. my life i, like, I use I, it every day every yeah, day it's it, on but it's in the background yeah. Every day, you know, it's it's. I'm not sitting down between two speakers, and looking for, you know, fantastic reproduction. It's it's in the background, um, and that's all I use it for. And it's great for choice and convenience, and uh, to check out new stuff that I don't have to buy. So if a new album comes out, I can check it out on Spotify. I don't have to buy it. I don't have to listen to thirty seconds on iTunes. I can actually sit and listen to the whole album, and if I if I like it, then I'll buy it. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's totally changed the way I listen to music. I think it's brilliant. And I, I think, you know, you could argue that that's even lesser quality than MP3s that you're getting through iTunes because the bit rate is going to be changing depending on what your connection is and so on and so forth. So I think convenience wins the war when it comes to, to music. And, um, yeah, yeah, I really I don't suppose see the, the point. If, you, if you're downloading music, if you download movies, which is inevitable as well, uh, and obviously games, as we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, yeah. You're going to have to redefine the nature of ownership because I don't personally think I own a download. I want something physical in my hand. I can't give you my download. I can't bequeath it to anybody. Do you own a download? No, basically you're just leasing something for a period of time. Which I'm, I'm at peace with. I mean, I don't I'm feel right, I need right. to give it to someone. You know, I, I'm, I'm not. I, I want something physical in my hand. Who are you going to give it to, Steve? Well, no one, obviously. Take it, I'm going to bury, me in, bury me with those discs. Bury, yeah. Like some kind of uh, Egyptian <laughs> Big, Egyptian yeah. ruler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm a pyramid made of Blu-ray. Blu-ray cases. <laughs> so, That's how I'm going. Okay, so talking about convenience and wrapping this up very quickly, because we are running out of time, uh, let's move to tech news. Um, smartwatches. This is going to be the big thing this year. Apple have been hinting at it. They've uh, filed for some patents. Uh, Sony have released theirs. Um, and there's also uh, a few Kickstarters around as well with uh, the same type of idea of smartwatch. It, it links up with your phone. So, you know, you get a text message. You don't have to take your phone out of the pocket. You just look at your your watch and you can... Unless you want message. to reply to it, in which case you've got to take your phone out of the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> We now we're making fun of this, and we're making fun of this for for the obvious reasons. But then, did we not just sit and watch um, Mr. Jobs with the iPad and think, who the hell wants one of them? Who you know, yeah. who's that aimed at? And and how's it? And look at it now. Do people Wait, wear watches anymore? I don't. Oh, use your phone. Do people yeah. wear watches anymore? <laughs> oh, I, love, I love a watch. Seriously, I don't. I Unless you're a watch collector or you're into watches, most people just look at their phone to see what the time is. Yeah. So I if you've already got your phone in your hand, do you I've, mean yeah, I feel naked if I don't have a watch. If I go out and don't have one on, I, I feel odd. I'm exactly the same. You but I have a watch. I haven't worn a watch for years. <laughs> but, I, 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 but I don't feel I need it to interface with my phone. <laughs> that's, all I can, that's what I see the smartwatch as. It's a remote control for your phone, as well as being a pager. And that's it. 
I thought thought my phone was a remote control for my home cinema system. Well, that's (laughs) it, yeah. It's a remote control for a device. Well, it's now going to be your watch, Like a remote control. Your watch is going to talk to your phone, which is going to talk to your TV. See, that's the way the no one, no one talks to me, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but you have your discs. (laughs) That's a good point, actually. I sold everybody else. I got my discs. That's all that is. It's going to be interesting to see how this one goes because um, if Apple are behind it, Apple are going to sell them. Yeah, and and they're going to sell them by well, the board. Actually, looking probably. at the Sony watch, Phil, it looked an awful lot like the old, uh, the old i, you know, the i iPhone with the black, the black with the silver trim. Yeah, it just looked really Apple esque. Don't don't yeah. tell Apple's lawyers that we're onto it. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think the thing is, if Apple were doing it, they they're not just going to be bringing out this thing; they're going to be reinventing. The watch you know we've talked we've yeah, heard about possibly changing time to decimal well that's the, the way it grips to your wrist but we're, we're gonna have jonathan you're gonna have jonathan eve give us this like 10 minute chart on the design elements yeah, it's not, it's not had time's all wrong yeah why, it why, hours? it needs to be flat that's that's where everything's going now everything needs to be flat it's it been prototype be or sort of mock-ups where it's one single piece and you know i can see something apple having something like that you know i don't think it will just be a watch with a an ipod in the middle or, or something it'll, I think it'll it, probably have facetime that's my guess that'll it'll be, be something one. cool about it yeah, that'll be yeah. Cool, but i still don't fancy it i still don't yeah. fancy it does anybody use facetime no, i do i, I, I think use it all the time if you have kids i think you use it all the time i've used it once since i got my iphone 4 and I've yeah. never used it on any other Apple product. You have kids? Well, once again, no. we've got no one to call yeah. if we thought. No, no, no. Well, we just call each other and we can <laughs> do that. You're not representative. Yeah, the last thing I want to do is look at you. <laughs> <laughs> With all due respect. I think if you have kids, then, you know, it's a very different kettle of fish. You know, well, my, why, my why, parents why want is to see it different, the why, why is it different? Why? Because you want to see your kids now and again. <laughs> I think my... my, my... No, you're using FaceTime because you don't want to see your kids. <laughs> you're not saying you're out. It's my, best of both worlds. My parents live uh, in Norwich, you know, several hundred miles away. Oh, so cool, for yeah. them to actually see my son and we've got a new baby on the way. I should have probably told you that, Phil. Oh, did, did they, did... Yeah, so, yeah, well... I, I would say, you know, maybe it's not where you're at in life, but I think there there is a world <laughs> of people that actually use it and think it's great best put down i've had all day hey listen you never know you could meet someone tomorrow and uh yeah. they might live somewhere else and, you know you have, to get, you have to leave the house first <laughs> well not necessarily steve not necessarily well exactly well well look I, I like golden retrievers so if she's got a golden retriever with it with a yellow band then it's fine there we go listeners uh, likes golden retrievers good sense of humor yeah. Yeah, nice shiny coat, wet cold clothes. Might have to share him with your podcast every now and then. But... You you wear a watch, Mark. Um, uh, so would you wear a smartwatch? <laughs> you make it sound like like wearing a watch is so antiquated. Well, it, now. It, it, that, it does to me. I, I haven't worn a watch in fifteen years, so it, it seems odd to me. But yeah, it's on go the on. chain, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's on a monocle. But you know what? It, if this thing takes off, I mean, the, the point with something like a phone is that you can put it in your pocket, that kind of thing. It doesn't get knocked as easily. Something like a watch is still, you know, you can knock it. it if, if it's like touchscreen interface and that kind of thing, I just, you know, I wouldn't want something that kind of expensive. I don't know. If you're doing DIY, you've got to take it off. And it just seems like a hassle. Well, one thing, the beauty is if you've got an expensive phone, you put it in your pocket when you're out in public. And people don't know what you've got on you. If you're wearing this big watch, it just says, 
I've got this funky watch, so I've definitely got a nice mobile phone in my pocket. Come and mug me. That's the police. That's the policeman in you talking there. I think. Yeah, that's the copper in you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, generally, anyone that wears a flash watch, I mean, you know, it's a kind of yeah. Surely yeah. the principle is the same. If you've got an expensive watch, you take it off if you're doing something that's potentially harmful to it. I think the, the yeah, big you can, watch wearer. Sorry, but you can you can hide a Rolex if it starts beeping underneath your sleeve. There's not much you can do to get away from it, is there? And, and being Apple, they'll probably come in like all these lurid colours as well. I think the thing if they get it wrong, like this is going to add more weight to the. You know, They're not always going to get it right, are they? Well, the argument at some, is at that, some point in the future, I, I, they'll, I think they'll this, have a product that people, won't. People will argue fly. Apple are on their way out now. Well, I think, I think financially this is that debate already. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, every every dog has its day, but also, you know, you'll have to let way for someone else to come in sooner or later. And, yeah. you know, Android's on, on the up and one more boring iPhone and everyone's going to be like, well, who cares, you know? Yeah. But is it the product that sells it or is it the hype? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we've got these things coming out and Sony have released one. You know, it, we were all questioning it. If, if Apple released one tomorrow, people would go out and buy it. Yeah, I just, it's, it's a status thing. Uh, that's what Apple have done so well. They sell you stuff expensive and they design it in such a beautiful way. And let's face it, Apple products are beautiful. They're aspirational up, up, up products. People want yeah, to buy exactly. them. People want to exactly. own them. They look like Samsung products to me. Uh, uh, no, well, no. Apple lawyers would argue differently. <laughs> we're, we're getting into a whole new podcast discussion there. We don't where, have to wearable, that. wearable tech seems to be like the big thing for the end of the year and, and early into next, you know, Google Glass. and. I'm and more interested in glasses. And yeah, I just don't know if I care. You know, wearable tech is is great in principle and in movies. But... I, I just think you'd look like a dick. Yeah, exactly. yeah, but you can have like the, the Robocop pod on it. Everything. <laughs> Come on. You're gonna end up watching porn. Flicking his face, man. I love this guy. <laughs> That's why you want to save it for the DVD, man. Okay. Well, I think I think <laughs> FaceTime. <laughs> FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we've uh, we've gone well off tangent now, but that is the podcast for this week. Thanks very much for listening. We are here every Wednesday. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, at AV Forums. Uh, if you want to follow me, it's at Phil Hinton. If you want to follow Steve Withers, it's at Stephen Withers, with a PH. If you want to follow Mark Hodgkinson, it's at Mark Hodgkinson 3. Provided you can spell it. Steve Hill, what's yours? Is it at Motion? Uh, no, I think it's uh, at Steve underscore Hillskill. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's on my forum thing. You'll, you'll find it. And uh, I'm guessing here that Mark and Simon don't do Twitter. No, absolutely right. You want to follow me, you <laughs> <laughs> off. <laughs> well... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We've been the new podcast and good night. <laughs> Tune in again. And don't forget, we have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash AV Forums. And uh, actually, we have a website. It's avforums.com. So come, <laughs> come, come and visit the I've website. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. It's all right. Um, we've got some big news coming up in the next few weeks as well about the forum. Uh, we have some changes coming up. We'll tell you as the weeks go on. So all I need to do now is thank uh, Mark Hodgkinson. Thanks, Mark. Cheers, Phil. Uh, Steve Weathers. Thank you very much, guys. Mark Boring. Cheers, Phil. Stephen Hill. I'm happy to do another half an hour if you want. And Simon Crest. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Cheers, this Phil. is Phil Hinton saying thanks very much, and we'll catch you again on Wednesday. Wednesday.